Well, if you were here last week, you remember at the beginning of the sermon, we're going to go through Colossians, the second chapter, uh, verses 6 and 7, as a sort of a uh, memory verse for us throughout this series. It's the third of 11 weeks in this series, so you've got plenty of time, uh, but we want uh, together to get the Word of God into our hearts. So uh, we're trying to memorize Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So as part of that, let's go ahead and put that up on the screens, and uh, we'll recite that together here, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. We'll do it twice here. Let's go at it. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the English Standard Version which I preach from, but you can use whatever you want. Uh, Most of them sound quite similar. And even if there's some different wording here and there, these phrases are about the same kind of cadence. So if you're memorizing KJV, NIV, NASB, NRSV, etc., etc., it will probably be about the same. So if you're memorizing something else, don't worry about that. Memorize that one just fine. Here we go. Let's do it again. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There's a fancy word I want to teach you. It's called meta-narrative. Meta-narrative. It has very little to do with the sermon other than this. Meta-narrative is a cool philosophy word that means, for our purposes, it means the thread throughout um, a series of things, stories, sermons. For us, the meta-narrative, the thread throughout this whole series called Are You Growing? is what we talked about two weeks ago. It's this. This one, growth in godliness transforms our faith from a claim to a cause. That's the first couple blanks in your outline there and uh, on the screen there. Growth in godliness transforms our faith from a claim to a cause. So now you know what a meta narrative is and you can go and press your friends with your newfound knowledge of uh, postmodern literary philosophy. Um, If you know why that is postmodern literary philosophy, then you are a nerd. (laughs) Last week, we uh, asked our first self-diagnosis question of this series. The first question last week was, are you thirsty for God? Are you thirsty for God? And we based that on Matthew 5, verse 6. From the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is preaching and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This week, we ask ourselves question number two in this series. Question number two is, are you increasingly governed by God's word? Are you increasingly governed by God's word? For anyone following Christ... This is an important question to help diagnose and assess our own spiritual health. Today's big idea is this, and this is the next couple blanks. You cannot be governed by God's Word, capital W, unless you're governed by His words. Plural words, small w. 
You can't be governed by God's word unless you're governed by his words. You're going to basically want to keep the two main passages handy for today because we're going to uh, dive into Psalm 19 and 2 Timothy 3. And uh, we'll mention some other passages here and there, but those are the only two we're really going to dive into here. Now, with that big idea statement I just uh, showed you there, and it's on the outline, there are two different W's, two different words there. You could call that a difference in wording, I guess. Um, Take out that joke in second service. Um, Notice the difference in the W's there. There are two words, one with the, the capital W and one with the small W. The first one, the capital W, the the, the capital word, is God as revealed in Jesus Christ. God as revealed in Jesus Christ. In other words, we talk about the word made flesh. The truth about the character and nature of God made flesh in a person as Jesus, as a person. That's the capital W word for us today. We see that kind of concept in passages all throughout Scripture. In the first chapter of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And that Word, Jesus, was with God and was God. He was with God in the beginning. It goes on to say that nothing that has been made was made without that Word being a part of the process. So Jesus is the personal, fleshly manifestation of God. And so that's why we call him God's Word, capital W. There are lots of other passages throughout Scripture. Colossians 1.15, 2 Corinthians 4, Hebrews 1. It's all throughout Scripture there. That's Jesus as the Word of God. The small W, that second W, that's the, cap, the, the small W plural words, that's God's truth written in words. His truth, his precepts, his laws, scripture, the Bible. So when we say that you cannot be governed by God's word, capital W, meaning Jesus, unless you're governed by God's words, what we mean to say is that if you and I claim Jesus as the Lord of our lives, then we will be governed by these words here. Because scripture is the revelation of the person of Jesus to us. If you're taking notes there with the the words thing, just to to make it not as confusing, you may want to draw a little arrow from that, that first capital W that says, that word is Jesus. And that smaller W, plural words, Scripture. Just to differentiate there. So what we mean, uh, in summary, is that God's word, as we use that term, It means two main things. First, Jesus as God's Word. God's Word made flesh. And then Scripture as His written words. Those are the next couple blanks there in your handout. Jesus as God's Word made flesh. And Scripture as His written words. So what we want to propose today is that the claim in your life of Jesus as Lord will naturally mean that you are increasingly governed by this book, by the concepts and truths and principles of His words. 
Let's pray as we get into it. Father, we want to be people who are under the authority of your scriptures. People who are soaked with the truth that you reveal to us in the Bible. We want, Father, to be people whose conversations are peppered with ideas that come from your character and nature as revealed to us in Jesus and demonstrated to us as words on a page. Father, we want to be people who manifest the truths of Scripture in our lives so that we would know them well and demonstrate them in our lives so that we, Father, would continue to be rooted and established, that we would be built up so that we would walk in you. Bless us with the presence of your Spirit as you've promised and enable us to think your thoughts after you in ways that benefit us today. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I've mentioned this a few times here and there in the last uh, year, year and a half or so. Uh, Some of you may know that um, I meet each week on Monday mornings with uh, two preacher friends in Johnson City. And uh, we collaborate on our preaching uh, for that next coming Sunday. Um, We discuss the meaning of our scripture passages. We share some resources and ideas. And in thinking about this sermon today, one of these friends of mine, his name's Aaron. Aaron is the preacher at Grandview Christian Church uh, on University Parkway in Johnson City. Aaron shared this story of a lunchtime conversation that he had with a classmate when he was in fifth grade. He says this, when I was in fifth grade, I had a friend named Chris Lohman. I remember at lunch one day, Chris turned to me and in a low, secretive voice, he told me that his aunt was a stewardess. I thought, well, that's kind of neat, but I didn't know why he was telling me this. So Chris then went to tell me that his aunt, who was a stewardess, went to Germany a lot because she was flying, and I thought, that's kind of neat, but Chris, why are you telling me this? He says this, but then he reached into his metal lunchbox and cuffed a small sandwich bag, a bag that was engulfed in his small fifth-grade hand, and in the noise of the elementary school lunchroom, Chris lowered his hand out of sight and leaned in and opened his palm so that I could see into that sandwich bag. Aaron says, I moved closer to see the contents, red, green, yellow, orange, all in shapes I hadn't seen before. And Aaron said, well, what are they? My aunt brings them from Germany. They're called gummy bears. (laughs) And Aaron, with all the awe and wonder of a fifth fifth grader, said, gummy bears, can I have one? Chris said, yes, but only one. (laughs) I don't have very many. Aaron says, I ate that gummy bear with all the delight of a fifth grader who is having his first and what he believes to be his last gummy bear. I immediately asked if I could turn his aunt into my own personal gummy bear smuggler. (laughs) If I give her money, Will she buy some and bring some of this magical bear for me? How can I get more? 
I'll never be in Germany. Chris, you've got to help me. He said he was afraid he'd never have another gummy bear. But listen to this. He said, that was over 30 years ago. Now I could walk to the corner market and buy gummy bears anytime I want. I still buy them once in a while, but usually I walk right past them. I still buy them once in a while, but usually I walk right past them. Friends, how often do we have the words of God available and accessible to us as easily as picking it up? And yet, through most days, we walk right past it. The scriptures are as readily available to us as gummy bears at the corner market, yet we neglect them as just another ubiquitously available option in our busy lives. It's so accessible. I would bet there are at least a couple dozen of us in this room sitting in these pews who could look up today's passage in at least a couple dozen English versions, a couple more dozen uh, translations, uh, the Hebrew, the Greek, and you could do it all on the phone in your pocket. It's so accessible. Many of us have so many Bibles in our homes, in so many places, we're not sure how many and where they all are. It's so accessible. Do you remember that time? Do you remember that time in your Christian walk when you were so on fire for the Lord as a young Christian? It's like that fun time of seeing someone as a new believer, just learning about the Lord. Their relationship with God always seems like an exciting journey of wonder and of awe. Or maybe you've experienced those kinds of times in your life when you, when you read the Bible and it just came alive with truth. It captured your mind and your heart like, like nothing else did. Maybe you went to camp as a kid and it was like for that week I could not get enough of the Word of God. Maybe you were on a mission trip or, or, or somewhere in another country where the presence of God was so palpable that as you read the Scriptures, it seemed extremely relevant to your work and the circumstances. Do you remember a time in your life when Scriptures were new? What happened? Where did that fire for the Scriptures go? How did we lose that enthusiasm for the words of eternal God? The sad truth about many believers in America is that for so many of us, the Bible has long remained a small and ineffective ember, emitting very little heat. When God intends it to be a long-term source of spiritual fire, something that is a sustaining energy and power for our lives. 
Friends, the truth is, you cannot be governed by God's word, that is Jesus, unless you are governed by his words of Scripture. Let's dive into Psalm, the 19th chapter. We see in this chapter here, in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11, we see a truth that we're going to look into today called the sufficiency of Scripture. We'll come back to that in just a second. But let's start in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. And we'll read through that and look at those verses a little bit. Verse 7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. So verse 7, when it says at the beginning here that the law of the Lord is perfect, what it means is that Scripture does not fail in its objectives. Scripture does not fail in its objectives. It is complete It does what it sets out to do. The fancy term for this that I just mentioned is the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. If you're taking notes, the sufficiency of Scripture means two main things. It means that God's words, God's words, to use our verbiage today, the Bible, it contains all we need to do two main things. Number one, to know God truly and personally. In a saving way. And two, to live an abundant, godly life. In other words, spiritual growth. We're focusing more on this second one here today. What it means to live an abundant, godly life. What it means for us to grow to become the people God created us to be. Now remember... Our big idea today is that you cannot be governed by God unless you're governed by his words. Another way of saying this is that Jesus cannot be Lord of your life unless his truths and his principles are also the Lord of your life. In order for that to be true, we need to know those principles. We see that truth unpacked a little more as we read on in Psalm 19. Still in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Reviving means it brings life back to a dead soul. It revives. Now, this isn't just sort of a reinvigorating of emotional, feel-good, warm fuzzies. It's not like you're on a date with someone and, and you really like them and you had a good time and you walk away being you know, on cloud nine. This isn't just warm fuzzies. This is a restoration of a relationship with God that was messed up in the garden and by our sin. The New American Standard and the King James say instead of reviving the soul, they say it a little differently. One of them says it restores the soul. It converts the soul. 
This is part of what is meant in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 16, when it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. It does its job to restore us to relationship with God. So let's focus on the second part of how it helps us grow. The rest of Psalm 19 uses language, I'll just mention it real quick, uses language to describe a scripture that fits this concept of it being enough for our growth. It uses words like, the testimony of the Lord is sure. You can count on it. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice. They make your heart rejoice. This is still verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are so valuable. Scripture is so valuable, says Psalm 19, that more than fine gold, sweeter than honey, is the value placed in this book. So let's turn to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. In verses 10 through 17 here. We see again this idea that the sufficiency of Scripture means that everything we have, everything we need to continue to become who God created us to be, is, is right here for us, is taught to us, is available to us. Paul is speaking in this, in this uh, passage here to young Timothy. He's warning Timothy to resist false teachers and to remain faithful to the gospel. And he's using his own example, that's Paul's example, of his faithfulness to the gospel and its teachings to tell young Timothy how to pastor the flock and to preach God's words and to continue the process of growth in the church. So it, it's, this, it's this idea where Paul himself is telling Timothy, this, the congregation that you were in charge of will grow if you stick to the scriptures. And it applies to us personally as well. Let's read 2 Timothy, the third chapter there. Verse 10 says this. Paul writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, Paul says, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now notice what Paul says, starting in verse 14. It, it sounds a lot like Colossians 2 that we read at the beginning here. Verse 14 says, But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, scripture 
which we have been taught, most of us, from day one, is enough. It is sufficient to make us wise for salvation. That's the first part of the sufficiency of Scripture we talked about, that we can know God truly and in a personal kind of saving way. But Paul goes on to say, to also describe the second part of this doctrine of sufficiency we're talking about. That is, that Scripture can help us to grow. Look at verses 16 and 17. They say, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good word. So, so Paul is saying here, young Timothy, look, you've got all you need. You've got the Scriptures that are breathed out by God. They're authoritative because they come from the perfect being and character and nature of God. They're profitable, meaning they work for learning, for teaching, for reproof, that's reprimand, for correction, a gentle reproach. And then he says, get this, for training in righteousness. For training in righteousness, for the purpose of being equipped for the good work to which God has called us. Isn't the goal for you and I to be equipped, to be trained, to be ready, competent for the good work to which he has called us? How often... How often do we look at our spiritual lives, our walk with Christ, as training, as being equipped to serve, to minister, to reach out to those who don't know Christ, to minister to one another? How often do you see your presence in these pews in the vein of equipping and training for you to go do the good work God's called you to. The application of today's lesson is really quite easy, friends. At least to understand, it is quite easy. But in a busy world, with our lives like they are without margins, they're not always easy to implement. You see... Applying the truth of today's lesson may require some serious reconsideration of your schedule. It may require going to bed earlier, committing with a friend to do something different with your Bible reading, or joining a Sunday school class where you'll be fed with the Word or a Wednesday night Bible study, or growth group, where that fire and passion for the truth of God can continue to go from ember to fire for us. Easy to understand what our next steps are. Not always easy to implement. If you don't yet read Scripture regularly, pick up a Bible reading plan on either one of our two resource tables. It's the reason we have them available. 
If you're online, go to youversion.com, y-o-u-version.com. It's an excellent resource. You can choose from over two dozen Bible reading plans. You can tailor make your own Bible reading plan that goes at your pace. Buy a Bible that has a reading plan built in. There are lots of good versions that will work fine. Memorize some scripture. Get the word of God in your hearts so that it comes out in your life. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we have it in here, it becomes a part of this and we live it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or a preacher to memorize scripture. Just start with Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Write it on a 3 by 5 card. Learn it. Write it on three cards. Put one on your bathroom mirror, one on your car dashboard, one in your pocket. Keep it around and available so that when you have a free moment, you can memorize Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Instead of being idle, wasting your time, sitting at the doctor's office, watching something dumb on TV, There are loads of things we fill our lives with other than Scripture. The methods, the pace, they don't matter. Whether or not you are getting enough Scripture into your life does matter. I could stand here and read you a recipe for cookies ten times. And it wouldn't do any good unless we put together some ingredients and did some baking. Reigniting a fire for Scripture in your life is not going to happen if you listen to others repeat the recipe every Sunday. There was a time in this country not too long ago when people from all over the neighborhood would pack into one house because it was the only one with a radio. Or when everybody shared a phone line. I'm sure a lot of you remember those days. Even I remember those days. In the Wakefield household in Springfield, Illinois, my dad said, they were the first one on the entire block with the color TV. And he remembers as a kid many times when everybody would come from the neighborhood and huddle around the TV and marvel at the cool color TV that they had. Now we have HD, 1080p or I, and bunches of things that I don't understand. We have hundreds of channels, huge screens you put up on your wall like a poster. There was also a time in the recent past when access to the scriptures was difficult. In Soviet bloc countries not too long ago, if a person had the words of God, they were one of the lucky ones. In Estonia, Bibles were so scarce that Christians in Helsinki across the Baltic Sea would put Bibles in airtight containers and throw them into the bay, hoping and praying that they would reach the other side in Estonia. 
There was an understanding for those Estonians in that Soviet bloc country that if you wanted a Bible, that you would pray and go down by the shore and look for one, hoping and praying that it would wash up on the shores. Soldiers would come along before them and grab them up. So you were one of the lucky ones. And as it turned out, when the Soviet Union fell, there were warehouses full of Bibles conveniently stored for them. A couple missionaries told that story and said, at first, it was a feeding frenzy. People couldn't get enough of them giving away Bibles. And he said, but it didn't take long. It didn't take long for the people to begin to realize that the accessibility was taken for granted. Friends, what if, what if we were a people who had a desperation for the Scriptures in our lives? Like a fifth grader wanting a gummy bear, saying to his friend, you've got to help me get this. Or like people huddled around a color TV, or Estonians praying for a Bible to wash up on the shore so that they could have access to the words of God. What if we were a church? What if we had families? What if our relationships were marked by conversation with one another where the words of God guided how we spoke with one another? What if, what if growth for us meant daily time in the Scriptures so that we would be increasingly governed by a relationship with Jesus? We pine, we long for intimacy with a Savior. And we neglect the chance to speak with and to hear from that Savior in our lives. Let us not neglect the Word of God, friends. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. If you're a baptized believer in Jesus and are looking for a church home, we'd like to invite you to come up and place membership here at First Christian. Or if you're someone who would like to publicly name Jesus as Lord of your life by being baptized, we ask that as we stand to sing that you would come forward. Let's go ahead and stand and pray. And then we'll sing together. Father, we want to be people marked by conversation and behavior that flows out of the truths that we read about in the Word of God. We want our lives to model Jesus as Lord. And so, Father, we, we repent, many of us, for neglecting, for neglecting the Word of God. Please give us, Father, that fire. Rekindle in us a passion to hear from you so that you will speak into our lives. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.